Welcome everyone. Welcome back. <laughs> Hello. Happy, I don't know. Every day snowy March. Snowy March. Oh my gosh. You even talked to me about the beast from the East. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, which should just be later in the week. Oh, I got yeah. trapped in Geneva this week, guys. That's yeah. what happened to me. So hopefully that's all over and we're going to finally see some spring sunshine. However, Helena mm. and I are going to go to Portugal. So this hopefully there'll definitely sunshine. be spring sunshine there. Um, well, this is what this is the thing, actually. Portugal, interestingly. I think I was, I was, re- I was reading about Portugal a couple of weeks ago when the real beast in the East was here. Um, and I'd read that it was a... Um, the beast in the East came from, you know, the Gulf Stream reversing because of weather, blah, blah, blah. But it was also kind of like buoyed by Storm Emma. Yeah, yeah. And at work, we all talk about um, storm names for some reason. Oh, because yeah. somebody at work had a name which was a storm name. Right. Of this year. And um, they were basically being like, why is it called Storm Emma? Like, we had Storm Fian last time. So, mm. like, why E? And I had read, because I was looking at Portugal weather, that the Storm Emma had come from Portugal. But it kind of came back to my head. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think, like, the storm came from, like, Portugal. And it had. And I was right. So, the whole point is that the Storm Emma came from Portugal that time. So, we oh, okay. might... So we should watch out. We should watch out. I think either way, we'll have a good time. But, anyway. I think we're going to have a terrible <laughs> time. <laughs> Let's not go. That's Storm Emma returns. Anyway, so as I from those little asides um yeah we are back this week to chat about kind of what's been going on in the world of entertainment yeah so we don't have a specific focus um a specific show or anything this week however um in the upcoming weeks we're going to see uh, the old vix production of brief encounter this mm-hmm. week and yeah. then we want to go and see a wrinkle in time when that comes out so we'll have a few more like focus podcasts for you in the next couple of weeks yeah. um this one's going to be more general we're going to discuss um some recent news about the hollywood pay gap slash oh, yeah. in general like the universal pay gap um some kind of interesting casting news and upcoming books um and also just what we're we've been enjoying recently yeah and a bit of an update on us you know we're taking the time to just like <laughs> you know talk about a whole bunch of stuff today yeah and then, as yeah. normal we'll um time stamp this so if there's anything in particular that you want to listen to you can kind of jump forward to that timestamp. we'll try and be as detailed as possible within reason yeah if there's anything that i'm not sure if we will but anything that we might spoil then we'll also like give you a heads up about that in the in the notes mm, in the i podcast. didn't spoil them about everything <laughs> yeah well what's been what's been intriguing us this week Flan? Well, so the one of the uh, headlines that we were both really shocked at and i think we oh are gosh, yeah. our shock was shared by you know the whole of the Twitter community and probably people who don't use Twitter as well, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> we don't know them, but... <laughs> who are these people now? Um, was the news that in um, the popular Netflix series, The Crown, mm-hmm. which the second series of which came out um, in the fall, like the past fall, um, that Claire Foy, who plays the... Literal queen. The, the, the crown. The titular character. Um, of The Crown. <laughs> the Crown, that she plays the queen, uh, was paid less than Matt Smith, who plays her husband, Prince Philip, who is very much a supporting character in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Like, I mean, he has a, a big role, but I would say it's 100% about the Queen. And the uh, excuse for this that the producers um, the producers sort of explained, and to be fair, the producers themselves were the ones who broke this news. Like, they admitted it at a um, panel. How do they not know? Or how do they just... <sighs> no, I think they did know, but I think they were kind of telling everybody and they were actually saying, this is a problem and we're going to address it. Oh, sure. So oh. you could give them some props for that. However... Their excuse was that Matt Smith, who played Prince Philip, was more famous to In the UK with. as well, yeah. Yeah, but the weird thing about this as an excuse is that he, I would say, yeah, like he probably was a bit more famous because of Doctor Who. Mm. But that's a, quite, that was A, probably more in the UK than anywhere else. Yeah. And B, elsewhere in the world, probably a much more specific audience. But equally, I would say that, fine, the whole idea about paying somebody more is to get them on mm. the roster, you know? Being like, oh, we got Matt Smith. But... But he's not I don't think if they hadn't got Matt Smith, they wouldn't. The show wouldn't have done well. No, because the the show's strengths lie in a the fact people, or in terms of how you market it anyway. People are interested in the monarchy, uh-huh. like, um, and there is an international interest in the monarchy, and that would kind of translate into a, people checking out the Netflix show. Well, it's why people, why, why Lifetime are making a Harry and Meghan movie? Exactly, exactly, and that doesn't have like anyone famous in, I'm sure. So it already had that bankability based on that aspect of it, mm-hmm. but also that it was a Netflix show that they had put a lot of money into, and well, if the they most, were yeah. if they were that concerned about people being well known, they wouldn't have cast a cast of like essentially unknown people i would still classify matt smith in that category so in my opinion that's a not very valid excuse and also even if you took that at face value and said that experience you know gives you the right to kind of 
earn more, right? Yeah. Then that doesn't make sense for the second series because the second series she had already won like a Golden Globe and she was like an mm. international well, also, like famous actress. I mean, Claire Foy is also not an unknown actress. No, I mean she was in a lot of things before The Crown. Like, I knew who she was. Like, did not, you know who she, know who she was? was? Yeah, exactly. So and I think, and equally, I think a lot of the. You're completely right on all those points. And equally, I think a lot of the reason that they hired people as they were is because of looks. Because in a show like this, you need to be able to look mm. like the characters to add to the believability. You know, I really think they, they shoved money into costuming and design and set design, yeah. in my opinion, and in the cinematography. That's why I read that they had put the most money into was the scenery yeah exactly and that and it was like one of netflix's most expensive shows ever yeah not because they paid for matt smith no so and equally like you the queen had like the queen i think claire foy does have quite a likeness with makeup etc to the queen when she was younger and it's not like with the darkest hour they couldn't have like shoved in prosthetics to make it all look good no and, and also just i think people were really outraged because they see her as the beating heart of the show and well, her is, performance as what drives the show. Yeah. And um, I would agree, like, I haven't finished the second series of the show yet. Mm. Just because I find it quite an intense show. Like, I find yeah. it a show that I have to kind of pace out. Um, no, I definitely agree. Her her performance is fantastic. And Matt Smith's performance is also really good. Definitely, and I was yeah. really pleasantly surprised. but Not because I didn't think he was a good actor, but just because I'd only seen him in Doctor Who. And he but. has the Prince Philip look. I, I think so. And he, you know, is a fantastic actor. But it just, I think it doesn't go beyond the fact that the, you know, I think salaries are always set on precedent all the way down to the, our, our salaries, for example, that, you know, the salary I'm given by my work is set by what they pay everybody else and what they deem the role that I have to be worth. It's not really on a case-by-case basis. So I think that most likely the only reason Matthews is paid more is just because men are paid more. It's mm. literally down to that and nothing else. And also this idea of him... I think it's sort of laughable because he's not a Hollywood star. And I don't mean that as an insult to him, but it's like neither of them were. So it's a, it was a confusing kind of explanation and I think it was really called out in the media and rightly so. Yeah. And there's now been a petition that started which is um, hoping to get Matt Smith to donate his the sort of extra money that he earned, which I'm not sure if that's actually come out as like how much it was. I, I can't say I've seen that figure. I'm not sure we know how much it is, but no. still, the, the point is there, isn't it? Yeah, to donate that to Time's Up, um, which of course raises like an interesting quandary because like we don't know whether Matt Smith and Claire Foy knew how much each other was paid. Um, or yeah. whether it was just negotiated by their agents and by Netflix and, like, they weren't really aware of it. Well, because equally you might have a very belligerent agent. You know, I think there has been cases as well where it was a matter of the men's agent, you know, to ask for more, while the female actress, actor's agent knew, didn't feel, wasn't used to asking for more yeah, like for we a woman. Yeah, we don't know. You know, it's we the industry know. too, yeah. So um, some people have sort of, like, criticised that because they said it's kind of cooling him out, but... I mean, well, basically, at time of recording, we don't know how he's going to handle it. And I think that yeah. if I had to hazard a guess, I would say he probably is going to make some kind of statement where he does, like, donate Absolutely. some money like somewhere. our major love Timothy Chalamet did with the Woody Allen thing. <laughs> exactly. And also, because it does reflect well on you as an individual if you do do that in terms of, like, what people then think of you. And I'm not saying that's necessarily right, because in some ways, like, I don't know, like, he shouldn't really have to do that. Like, it shouldn't necessarily be his responsibility but also a lot of people look up to him a lot of young people look up to him and um the issue is with being a public figure yeah as i was saying to you earlier that you know this is why uh, we were talking about inclusion riders last week and um this is why this the actors themselves uh michael b jordan and his production company for example or um the other two white actors i can't think who they are but you know, it, they, they're public figures, they have the power and the voice, and also the fact that they can kind of act outside of the rules because they are so yeah, famous and so rich. exactly. Because if Matt Smith decided to donate all his salary to a charity, I'm not saying he's going to do that or he should do that, but if he did, Netflix or his agent isn't going to, like, do anything. But Whereas, it's not going to make a dent in his, you know, while, the, you know, demanding a certain salary as a agent means commission, means paying yourself and your staff you know netflix agree or the production company agreeing to a certain salary again means paying getting the money for the show paying the staff so in the end the people who are the people who are the most privileged actors are the actors funnily enough so i would kind of say that you know for matt smith i would expect that he is in the best position to make a stand about it even if 
as we know, as is probably true, it's not particularly his fault. Yeah. I, I would say it's his responsibility to make a stand because he's in the best he's the best position to do it. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And I think it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And I was um uh, you know, sort of half it was interesting how like I saw that headline and I was like genuinely shocked. Like like genuinely it's almost just, like a gasp. Yes again, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's just because of all the shows. I mean there was a really funny gif that we shared on our Twitter, which was a gif of um the the best friend character in Ladybird when she's talking about um, <laughs> yeah. how Ladybird gets cast as the Tempest and she in in the school production and she's like that's not even a role and then her friends like is the titular role <laughs> and then that was like being shared where people were like when you find out that um, Claire Foy was paid less than Matt Smith and I was like yeah but like it's genuinely she's true. a literal crowd it's I mean honestly it just proves to you yet again that I mean the whole show is about a woman acting in what is deemed I'm air quoting here a man's role yeah and it just it goes goes deeper than that man goes deep it's true because even though the show is is about like an inherited profession as opposed to you kind of fighting your way in a yeah in a in a profession that you've kind of um you could argue you've earned, you know and yeah. worked for um it's still you know i really think that is a running theme about how she's kind of often treated badly because she's a woman or perhaps not badly i mean you know if you are talking about a very specific set of circumstances but she is treated sometimes differently and there's a whole bit in the first series where she talks about how she hasn't had the education that a man would have of had course, and yeah. so it does seem like somewhat ironic doesn't it and i will say i did read an article um the other day i i run the royals category at work so i'm very inundated in their lives <sighs> anyway but um, there was an article being like how the Queen had kind of talked about uh, briefly in an interview how she mixes, you know, she was one of the only female diplomats to be mixing in world politics and world diplomacy in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and obviously first ladies and presidents and prime ministers' wives also have a role to play, but she was one of the only major leaders to be acting in what was inevitably a man's world and she had to behave more like a man yeah. to do so and it was interesting kind of paralleled with um some kind of discussion about um elizabeth and how this idea of i have the heart and stomach of a man that speech she gives for the spanish armada oh, elizabeth invaded the first, yeah elizabeth yeah. the first sorry should have clarified the other elizabeth the other elizabeth um those words are attributed to her they're not actually she never said them but mm. this is the whole idea that in order to be successful a woman has to behave especially a woman like elizabeth the first or second who are very much unusual for their time especially being in you know their world leaders even if you yeah, know, their yeah. power is restricted by their femininity. But it can't be, because they have to be powerful, because they are the leaders of this one big country. So to then say you have to act like a man is quite uncomfortable, because it's like, do you embrace femininity? Do you not? What do you do? So it all comes at quite a timely... You know, all this stuff comes at a timely moment, as it always seems to. It does. And I, I think I was, I was heartened by how the outrage was very universal. And even mm. the people who were defending the choice defended it on the basis of Matt Smith being more famous. But I think people kind of acknowledged that he wasn't, it wasn't like they'd cast like Ryan Gosling or something, you know, it wasn't like somebody who'd <laughs> yeah. kind of been nominated for Oscars. And, you know, he was, he's like famous in a, UK way. As a TV celebrity, you know. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's not to diminish his talent or to diminish his achievements. I just think that... It's a, it's you know, a I mean, Claire Foy played Little Dorrit. Also the titular role, just to titular. clarify. So, you know, I feel like she definitely kind of had <laughs> yeah. a long build-up to play I mean, Hilary Mantel, is uh, she Man Booker winning? I think she might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Hilary Mantel, you know, she was in... She played Anne Boleyn. The Anne Boleyn, the subject of literally about five films... Yeah. So, you know, it's bull. It's bull, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And it, and it also, yeah, it just raises a lot of questions. I mean, the, the Crown producers, so as we said, they were the ones who revealed this. And then they said that this is going to be rectified for, for Series 3. But then people have kind of been complaining because Claire Foy and She's Matt not- Smith, they're not in Series 3. It's going to be whoever takes over from her. It's going to be Olivia Watson. Olivia, Olivia Coleman, who, oh my God, like 100% like return. She should obviously be paid the most. Like, it's Olivia Coleman. See, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't underpay Olivia Coleman, would you? Well, we it's Olivia Coleman. They haven't announced who's going to play Prince Philip, Prince yeah. Philip you know. Ooh. So I guess he could be. Have any predictions for that? I don't know. That would be interesting. You should look it up. But... So Laura's replied yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, that was a a really interesting bit of news, and I think it just shows that even if you're in one of Netflix's most successful TV series of all time, you could still be uh, a victim of this system that you know 
the the ordinary people perhaps could be victim of as well. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is the Daily Mail Express. Okay. And they think David Tennant. <laughs> what? No, David Tennant is too young. <laughs> no, absolutely. David Tennant, Colin Firth. Mm, no. He's not going to do it. No. Um, Hugh Laurie. No. Jude Law. Jude Law is too busy being Dumbledore. That's true. Oh, we, should, we could discuss Fantastic Beasts later. I haven't watched the trailer, actually, sadly. Or Jason Isaacs. No, but he's too busy in Star Trek. They're all too... Um... Ralph Fiennes. Ooh. But he's in... Um... No, that's Joseph Fiennes. Joseph Fiennes is in The Handmaid's oh, Tale. Joseph Fiennes. They put Joseph Fiennes in it. I would watch that. He's pretty creepy in The Handmaid's Tale. I think you'd have oh, a different... Oh, but no, but he's in Shakespeare and Shakespeare Yeah, no, Mars. I know that. But, like, <laughs> it's pretty gross, so... I mean, Ralph, right? Ralph Fiennes could do it. But if you made him in... blonde. Um, I don't know. I feel like, are they not all a bit kind of wrapped up in other projects? Yeah, possibly. Um, Who she wants to play Prince Philip. All right. Well, who does she want to play Prince Philip? Let's have a look. She wants David Tennant. That'd be ridiculous. You cannot pair David Tennant and Olivia Colman again. Also, David Tennant isn't that much older than Matt Smith. I wouldn't have thought. Like, maybe maybe 10 years at the most. Like, you know. I personally can't think of anybody off the bat. So it might be a bit of an unknown. Which I think would be interesting because Olivia Colman's very... I think she's very well known now because of Broadchurch. Yeah, also they could cast whoever they want because the show is established, you know. Yeah. And people were very on board with Olivia Coleman as a choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it kind of gives them a freedom to sort of cast. And then they've, they've said maybe Helena Bonham Carter is, as, as Margaret. <gasps> that would be amazing! Yeah, exactly. Oh, so they, could, they definitely have the freedom to cast an unknown as Prince Philip if they wanted I will, to. I will admit, a very horrible admission, is that I haven't watched season two of The Crown yet. Like, still not. Because I just like it. I, it's like you said, I just it's no, well, so I exhausting. I hadn't watched it either because I found it really intense. And I thought I was kind of alone in this because most people I know like binge watched it. My parents have watched the whole thing twice. Um, and these are people who, bi- who binge watched it who I wouldn't have said were even traditionally interested in period dramas. Yeah. Um, whereas it took me and my flatmate to like lit to watch the, the crown series one about nine months like, <laughs> yeah. we, it literally so, took us forever because every time we would have a moment to watch it we'd kind of be like do we feel like it like can we deal with that intensity and then often the answer was no i am very intrigued as to how some people find it bingeable and actually if you are one of those people like please write in and like tell us why and it's that's not me to saying that i don't think it is but i just i don't personally find it that yeah. way because i just find it heavy going but anyway. and to plug where you can write in and tell us why as we wrap this up um you can obviously talk to us online at real llw as flan pours herself on the glass of prosecco um real llw um we hashtag all of our content to do with the shows particularly with llw show so if you want to Search or use that tag we can, so we can find you. Um, and equally, we have an email, which is loveslabourswatch at gmail.com, which you can email us any thoughts. Um, we'd love to read out some subscriber listener emails as well. We're happy to do that. Absolutely. And we have an Instagram as well, which is loveslabourswatch. So we've recently um, sort of revamped our Instagram. Um, we're trying to kind of uh, add to it a bit more. So we'd love it if you followed us there. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, lots of good hopes for The Crown season three. I will have to definitely have watched The Crown season two. Well, I think we definitely have time because as far as I'm aware, they haven't, you know, made that casting announcement yet. But speaking of um, interesting casting announcements. Oh, yes. Uh, so one show that's kind of been in the works, I think since 2014. Um, it's been a while. a long time. Yeah. Is a BBC adaptation of the Philip Pullman novels, His Dark Materials. Oh, and here is where I just fall on the floor in joy because obviously they have done one adaptation before. Yeah, the, um, the, the Golden movie. Compass, yeah. which was just trash from start to finish. Not bashing Nicole Kidman as uh, Lady Miss Coulter. Very Col- well cast, I would say, yeah. Beautiful casting, but... Ooh, not the point. I mean, they just they just missed the point of the whole the whole. And I reread the books recently, which I did talk about on the podcast. You did, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I absolutely, I mean, those books are fantastic, and they deserve a good BBC led adaptation because if anyone can do it, the BBC can. I also think, as you say, like uh, part of the problem with that movie adaptation was just that how do you condense this really meaty, like heavy text mm-hmm. into? A film. I don't think it necessarily lends itself to a film, but to a, a TV series, mm-hmm. I think that would be a lot better. Absolutely, and there's so many good elements about it. There's three books worth of stuff now. Four with the Book of Dust coming out. There's yeah. a lot of content. There's also, a, I think, Philip Pullman. Having reread them as an adult, I think Philip Pullman's concepts are so well managed. The whole idea, isn't it, is that the institutionalized church 
is dangerous, not because of religion or faith, but more because institutionalized belief leads to tyranny. It's kind of his whole idea. And he plays that out so beautifully with the kind of like growing uninnocence of childhood yeah. and the problems of love and and betrayals and, you know, really high concept fantasy. And we see Lyra, the main character, go from girl to woman as well through you know a la juliet from romeo and juliet kind yeah, of thing so i'm really looking forward that you know there are so many things they could do and there are so many ways in which they could do the first book and the second book and the third book absolutely that i'm honestly really excited to see it on the big screen well the and small still the small screen sorry yeah well they've so they've confirmed the director as tom hooper who is the oscar-winning director behind the king's speech oh yeah uh, part of me feels like he's also behind les miserables and i'm like have i made that up i don't know why do i i'm also oh i i ally with, with harry potter because somebody called hooper wrote the script wrote the screenplay but no sorry wrote the music but honestly i don't doubt the bbc will attach a great director to this because honestly it's the moment isn't it i mean i would watch it you would watch it I, I mean, think, yeah, it's oh yeah, I'm right. So Les Miserables, he directed in 2012. The Danish Girl, he directed in 2015. Yeah, um, and The King's Speech, and um, The King's Speech obviously won Oscars, as did Les Miserables and The Danish Girl. So that's a really big hitter. Don't know his credentials. Yeah, yeah, and while the BBC obviously you know does often get some well-known people, I think that's like another level. Mm. Oh, and they've got the girl from um, Logan. Yeah, so Daphne Keane, uh, the she breakout was, star of great. Logan. Uh, so I actually haven't seen Logan, but when I saw a picture of her, I immediately thought oh she looks perfect like with blonde hair yeah yeah she just looked like i don't know kind of like uh feisty is an is an overused term mm, but it's absolutely true and i watched logan myself and her character speaks basically never really um the whole idea is she's this kind of quite silent institutionalized child who is uh, bred from wolverine's dna okay. and then she speaks spanish uh, for a bit and then she speaks English a little bit but the whole point is that she's very silent and she was heralded kind of like Millie Bobby Brown for her very very facial emotional performance okay. whilst not speaking very much and I think that's very Lyra because... absolutely because she doesn't actually say an awful lot and she's mm -mm. also kind of thrust into quite a strange situation so actually a lot of her facial expressions and her I think a lot important. of her scheming goes on in her own head with yeah. her daemon and everything oh my god I mean just honestly this it's like Harry Potter for me the hushed up materials that like it was a world that I really adored and really thought was something I'd love to be part of having a daemon like what is oh, your yeah. daemon is those quiz you see on BuzzFeed Absolutely. so to have that realized properly BBC properly on you know on tv with an actress who i think would really do it well especially as she grows older because they, they kept the same actress as they should the romance i have air quotes here the kind of like love between lyra and will is something that as a 14 13 year old when i read it i was like blown away by it. like i loved it yeah um so and even now as an adult i love that between them so i think it'd be good to see her grow up and and find an actor to play Will. Hopefully somebody who is equally as... What do they say about Will a lot in the books? That he has really angry eyes. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine that <laughs> and, being, like, the casting description? You know? And really dark black eyebrows. So, oh, honestly, seeing this whole thing realised outside of my head. Yeah. We, and I'm honestly, it looks promising. It does. And um, I think also the fact that it's actually been in the works for several years is actually quite a good sign because they're not rushing it. They're... Um, you know, they're kind of taking their time to hopefully find what's right. So I think it's also important to remember, as we said... That's not necessarily for us. And I think there is a kind of tendency mm -hmm. in criticism for people to get very irate and very critical about things that actually they aren't the target audience for. Uh -huh. Yeah. And this has so kind true. of been, uh, this has been the topic of conversation recently with the new movie, A Wrinkle in Time, which is also based off a uh, children's novel. But I think it's a children's novel that was really popular in America because I've never read it. Never Have you read it? it? No. Never so I feel it. like this is what I've kind of heard amongst other British uh, people that I don't think it's as big here, mm. um, but it's really big in America. And the the new adaptation um, is has been really talked about because uh, the director is um, Ava DuVernay. Yeah, she's a really uh, really exciting, like innovative yeah, female she, director. Um, she did Selma. She did Selma. That's it. Yeah, and also I so I listened to her an interview with her on um, Emma Gannon's podcast. Podcast. Pad pad podcast. <laughs> pod we should call it a podcast from now on. Uh, Control Alt Delete, and she said that she didn't start directing. She didn't pick up a camera until she was thirty four, mm. and she said oh, a lot of the conversation around me tends to revolve around um, my gender and my race, which obviously I am. 
are very proud of and, and excited to kind of represent in those areas but also mm. I want to represent you know older directors and people who don't sort of like go to film school and sure. like start when they're 18 which I thought was really interesting so um anyway but she has adapted this novel um, and it's been really talked about. Everyone's quite excited about it because it stars Oprah Winfrey and... Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, and, and then she's also made a point of making it diverse in terms of um, casting. Um, so the, the main character is now played uh, by an uh, actress who's mixed race and all of which is, is really exciting. But yeah, yeah. it hasn't got like hugely great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes or really in other critical... Uh, critical spheres. websites and yeah, spheres, yeah. yeah. And the reason being that it is like a children's film, and I think it's kind of it's mostly aimed at children and aimed at young at heart, and not necessarily aimed at like your average reviewer. But the issue is, it's being it's being picked up by big critic 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 critics. No critics. Yeah, yeah. Because you know it's um, a high profile film. Like I was, you know. I wrote, I have a weekly email that I send out for work um, just to the staff. And uh, one of the points is that, you know, it picked up number two spot for its opening weekend just behind Black Panther. So, you know, for the first time in recent history, I think um, the two top spots of, you know, the highest earning films that week have been held by two black um, directors. Yeah. um, For Black Panther and for Wrinkle in Time. So it is a groundbreaking film in many ways, but the issue is it's still a children's film and Disney aren't there to make an Oscar buzz film. They're there to make a film that will be watched by people. Yeah. So we're we're hoping to see this film, um, you know, in the upcoming weeks, but I think that's something I'm going to kind of go into thinking about it and thinking like, this is a children's film and it's not, you know, some children's films might have more of kind of a crossover appeal, but you know, on the podcast I listened to earlier, she actually said, this is aimed at eight to 14 year olds. And like, that's, they don't care about a lot of things that we care about. Yeah. and, And it kind of like raises the question of, you know, film criticism as a genre. And I was saying to Helena before, before we started this podcast that, uh, before this episode I mean um that a lot of like the recommendations I get or the kind of things I will listen to will be voices I hear on social media mm. and there'll be people that I kind of know that we maybe have similar taste and people whose opinions I sort of value and it's not that I don't value traditional criticism because I do very much so mm-hmm. and I've also been a a film critic and a theatre critic so I know it's, it's difficult oh yes check Flan out on yeah. Broadway Baby <laughs> but but what I found when I was a critic is that it was very difficult because you see like two different productions. So I mostly did theatre criticism. You see two different productions and they would be not comparable in any way at all. But you'd have to sort of give them both a rating out of five. And that, and that can be quite hard. And I think it can be hard to kind of compare them. And, um, you know, this sort of like dilemma has led to some films like A Wrinkle in Time has 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, which which is is actually really low. But, But, you know, it's being compared to probably other films that are aimed at, at like are not aimed at just children are aimed at everybody or but you know. that also that came out to the same level of buzz like the edge of tomorrow i remember which i think is quite a similar film it's got george clooney in it um and it's all about this girl entering this alternate universe kind of thing right. you know female yeah, yeah. The character is about 14 i think she's looking for her looking for a father figure at least and in the film the wrinkle in time she's looking for her father yeah so you know, people were kind of comparing it to that. Released a similar buzz, made good money, was from a comic, you know, book series as well. Mm. And in the end, I don't, I don't really think Disney are that concerned with the critics liking it. No, they're because clearly about... it's hugely successful, as you said earlier. Yeah, so. and you know, we were saying that, you know, you don't take your kids to the cinema to see an Oscar-winning film. You take your kids to the cinema to shut them up for two hours, hopefully. Buy them popcorn and have them just enjoy themselves. Yeah, and, and this film clearly has, I mean, we haven't seen it yet, but from what we've heard, it has a very powerful message about self-acceptance. Self-love, yeah. Um, about family and about finding yourself and being confident in yourself. And all of those messages are like... Great for children. Absolutely brilliant for children, yeah. And also it's showing um, a diverse representation of modern day life. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there are lots of elements to it which make, which probably elevate it above a children's film. And also the calibre of performances that they've got. You know, they've got Mindy Kaling, they've got Reese Witherspoon... And Oprah yeah, Winfrey. Winfrey. Hashtag Oprah Also Chris Pine, you know. Oh. I've seen a lot of tweets about Chris Pine from the film, so you know. Oh, I love Chris Pine um, in so, every way. So there's lots of kind of people in it, which people maybe would go see the film for that. You know, people go yeah. see a film for Oprah Winfrey. I 100%. love the indicating. I mean, yeah. I love The Office, the US Office. 
and she's amazing in that and also she's a producer Min- the Mindy project yeah. honestly she's just a, a great businesswoman in my opinion so I think actress, so. you know I would go and see the film to see Mindy Reese and Oprah like together and Reese has witches. beautiful orange hair yeah. I mean, yeah exactly so I think um, we'll you know we'll check in and we'll talk about this again when we've seen the film mm-hmm. um, but it has raised this interesting debate with regards to traditional film criticism in like a newspaper for example mm. that's not the only place we get our opinions now like we get our opinions from Twitter we get our opinions from Instagram and word of mouth as well yeah and from our friends and we've always of course got it from friends but I think now our kind of the people that we listen to has widened considerably. Yeah. And so to an extent it just doesn't matter. I always, I would like look at Rotten Tomatoes and I love reading film criticism. So I don't want this to come across as me not liking it, but I often read um, reviews after I've gone to see something. Oh yeah, me too. Because I don't really like things being spoiled for me. I think you want to try and, I always do it because I want to try and like get a sense of what actually, what I've seen and what the critique is it. But it's, yeah, it's the same. You want to do it after you've watched it. Yeah, and and I will read things before I see it. Um, But I'll kind of try and be reasonably selective about it to try and avoid spoilers. Mm. Uh, But anyway, there's been a new initiative, um, a a new website called Cherry Picks, which... That's a great name. It is quite a good name, yeah. Which is going to specifically highlight, in the way that Rotten Tomatoes does, uh, reviews from women mm-hmm. so ra- Rotten Tomatoes tends to kind of collate maybe like 50 reviews and they'll all be sort of from um, you know The Guardian uh, Vulture New Statesman Variety Statesman yeah Variety Statesman what are we saying Variety you know all these kind yeah, of different yeah. uh, platforms that we all recognise and like often you see that you, you recognise the name and that to you is a um, mark of quality credibility um, yeah yeah which um, it, de- it definitely is yeah but it might be that all the reviewers often are men. Men. Mm-hmm. So this is to kind of try and like address that balance. And maybe a film like A Wrinkle in Time, which I think mostly was aimed at children, but also might maybe skew more towards a female demographic. Because of all the women in it, yeah. Yeah, it might it might get like a slightly higher rating. And also it might be that you or I, or maybe our listeners, and not to say that they're all women, but those who are might find that there's more kind of to relate to. Ooh, this honestly, actually this reminds me of um so Tomb Raider has just yeah, come out. Which also got quite bad reviews, right? Interestingly, so I didn't I'm not surprised by this and I will still go and see it because in the end it's not it's not an Oscar but it it's a it's an adaptation it's like Reddit Player One or World of Warcraft. It's an adaptation of a um of a game. Yeah. A game. And I think from the sit from I've played the the Tomb Raider, the new Tomb Raider game, which is fantastic. Um, and it's, you know, the film looks very much like a, a rehashing of that. And that's yeah. fine. I don't mind it. It'll be an action film. I'll enjoy it. But, um, and I think people have been saying that, um, people have been saying that, um, Alicia Vikander's portrayal of Lara was very, very, very good, which doesn't surprise me because it's Alicia Vikander. Yeah. And what's interesting is they've been kind of saying that, like, she kind of took this heroine who's kind of a bit 2D because she is. Um, and really made it into like gutsy, strong, interesting, stubborn. You know, she kind of, you know, took what is a character who's kind of become popular because she's a very good looking, strong, <laughs> boobsy woman um, yeah. and made her interesting and yeah. 3D. And critics have kind of heard us about, about her. But what's interesting is I kind of read some reviews, not reviews, but like, um, you know, screenshots of tweets, etc., etc., talking about the fact that like people have been. A, comparing her to Angelina Jolie, because Angelina Jolie was in the first Tomb Raider mm. film, and which was kind of a bit more based on her looks. But based, equally, based on the traditional video game. But equally, well. you know, just, yeah. she was just a strong and interesting character. Another thing was, like, somebody was saying, um, and again, it's not, it's not a film critic, it's just somebody on Twitter saying, they destroyed her character, you know, they made her so unfeminine, and they made her so, like, not manly, but so, like non-sexualized I think was their point and it was like they've taken and she was trying to say they've taken away her femininity her power right. as a woman they were like no you're like you're by not sexualizing her you're taking away her agency and you're like A no <laughs> but B what's been really interesting about this it's really thrown up some weird kind of some some weird people in brought out of the woodwork trying to talk about this film not about an as an action film as a as a game adaptation but as an anti-portrayal of a female heroine which i haven't seen it yet so i can't comment on that but i think it has a relation to the female only website because yeah, again definitely. i think a lot of reviews can be you know based in 
someone's gender. But I think we have to avoid the problem. We have to try and be careful of the problem of being an echo chamber. As you said, with Twitter, film critic echo chamber, same problem could be present on this female only. Yeah, and, and, and we were saying earlier that, uh, you know, there can be a danger of you kind of like, you don't mean to, but you can be in a bit of a bubble on social media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, it can be exciting to sort of watch something that you would never have seen or, um, you know, get a pers- get different perspectives on something, you know. Uh, so if you only follow people who share your opinion and only read reviews by people who share your opinion, then that could be not necessarily a bad thing, but just kind of, I mean, it depends in what context. It could definitely be a bad thing in some contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also just maybe, like, limit you, potentially. Definitely. So... Yeah, True. Well, shall we, uh, shall we uh, move swiftly on? <laughs> so, on a slightly nice, lighter note, um, <laughs> not that that wasn't like a bundle of laughs, but anyway, um, what have you been enjoying recently, Helena? Well, me, um, well, let me run into, recently Flan has turned me on to actually being on the Goodreads I was a good read to the website, which is very much uh, book reviews, book recommendations. Um, a lot of uh, publishers use it for connecting with book bloggers and book reviewers. And it's a great site if you're a it's, book blogger. It's a good way of uh, tracking what you've read um, mm-hmm. and also tracking things that you, you want to read. So, like, you know how somebody might recommend you something. And most of us would probably, like, jot down a note in their, our phone or in our notebook Then or forget something. about it. But actually having it on Goodreads, I really like it. And I've been recommending it to a lot of people recently. Yeah, so we so. have a teeny, you know, this, this goes back into the fact that I was saying to Flan we should do a book group update every week because, you know, it all goes back to the book group. So a lot of our, I mean, as our book group friends. Are all of, are well, not so all far. of them, but quite a few are on Goodreads. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I've just recently set myself a challenge of doing 50 books this year, which is double the number of books I've read in the last two years. Because I keep notes because I'm trying to be better at it. As, you know. So I recently, I can now check my app. Well, it is helpful for that, isn't it? It is yeah. good. So I've recently just finished. Um, so I subscribe to the Haywood Hill Bookshop in Mayfair's book subscription service. My mum my bought it for me as a Christmas gift. And I'm trying where I can to uh, read each book they send me before they send me the next one. So I've just finished the last one they sent me, which was called False Lights by K.J. Whittaker. Mm. which honestly I never heard of it I don't think you would have heard of it I doubt you listeners would have heard of it but it's essentially my book in every single way so it's setting it's kind of the setting is Regency London right it's anti-history that's one it's anti-history too so it's basically the idea if Napoleon had won the Napoleonic Wars and was occupying London a la the terror in Paris okay so a lot of executions uh, mm. deaths the whole idea that the, the bourgeoisie will rise and take over the aristocracy it's got a good looking aristocratic man <laughs> as the one of the leads it has a mixed race woman yeah. as another title lead her name's Hester think Belle from that film um, Belle. Belle died Elizabeth Belle and it's also set somewhat in Cornwall and you don't, you won't know this but I am a big visitor to Cornwall I like David du Maurier a lot because she sets everything in Cornwall so I recently, I picked up this book, I got it maybe last week, I went on holiday this weekend, so I finished it now in the play and stuff, and really enjoyed it. I will say, the Haywood Hill staff are really killing it. They, they, the last book they sent me was, ooh, that one you read, Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter, oh, yeah, yeah. about kind of Hollywood lifestyle and celebrity, and it's kind of set in the Italian, Italian Tuscan coast, also yeah. not. Also, very me, I love Tuscany, who knew, but... They've clearly been stalking you. They have been stalking me, I think so. But um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It was actually a great book because it's kind of Regency romance mixed with a spy novel, mixed with a historical period novel. But the character was mixed race. And a lot of it has to do with this, you know, at one point her, you know, her sister-in-law has a slave's collar in gilded silver sent to the house as a kind of like a nasty prank and you don't she doesn't say it's her but they kind of know it was Mm. her who did it and it's kind of all about this abolitionist movement and the kind of hypocrisy exhibited by society even during occupation um when you know nothing is as it used to be because you know they're under occupation and equally very well written i thought um one problem i had with it was that because it was from perspective of gosh her husband hester the main character her brother-in-law, also the husband's servant, also one of Hester's servants. The characters go on and on. So 
<clears throat> the kind of issue was is that there were so many perspectives that I got lost because I didn't know what was going on because they kept on switching perspectives and it wasn't okay. you know when you're in when, when they when somebody does a stream of consciousness narrative as a lot of it was you don't really get a sense of what's really going on around them mm. because it's very much in their own head one criticism that I have but I will say I'm really enjoying the fact that Haywood Hill keeps sending me books that I never would have expected. Yeah, well, that's quite exciting. And I, mean, I really, really enjoy. It's a little bit like our book club in that you do get kind of exposed to something that you maybe wouldn't have picked up otherwise, mm-hmm. which is always nice. Definitely. And I'm really looking forward to reading the next book club book, which is going to be... So I've just received my book club book, which is going to be Frankenstein and Baghdad, the winner... No, shortlisted for the Arabic Fiction Prize and also shortlisted for International the International book Man book Booker. Yeah, yeah. Honestly... There are so many book prizes out at the minute. So many. They're all everywhere. So go, you know, go to a Google and see what's been shortlisted. But that one, I also have picked up the Madeline Miller's The Song of Achilles, mm. which is all about the relationship between um, the Iliad and the Odysseys, uh, most of the Iliad, actually, um, Achilles and Patroclus, who are a very famous classical friendship during the Siege of Troy. And I think it's kind of like a romance between the two of them. Um, and she's also bringing out a new book, Circe, in the next couple of weeks about the woman who lives on the island who helps Odysseus escape in that in that cloud, and then right, he like yeah, yeah. sneezes or something, uh, or three times, and then the fog disappears and the gods. So see she him. has a particular interest in in classical mythology. Yeah, so, I think yeah. so. So I'm really, honestly, it's all books for me this week, but I'm really, 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 really looking forward to reading them. Yeah, and I'll have some time since we're going to Portugal. Definitely. Well. Um, I don't think I talked about Eleanor Oliphant, but I read that uh, recently. Oh, did you? That book. Yeah. That book is an ultimate master class in long tail marketing. Yeah. Honestly. So I went to Iceland a couple of weeks ago and um, hadn't had just finished the book I'd been reading, and I got to the airport texted my friend who I was going with shout out to Bryony and was like can you buy me a book and told her to buy me Eleanor Oliphant because I hadn't read it yet and I knew they'd have it in W.H. Smith which is kind of testament to the you know marketing that you're saying (laughs) um and I was really intrigued because I I, as I said earlier I really enjoy uh uh, interacting with um something where I haven't read much about it and Mm -hmm. although I had seen a lot of marketing about it I didn't actually know the plot i just knew it was about a woman so the the, the book is called eleanor oliphant is completely fine it's by Hint, she's not she's not no <laughs> um but i think i kind of thought and i've said this to a few people and they've said that they thought this too from the advertising that it was a bit of a bridget jones type book no i could see that yeah because it's about a woman the description on the plot on the back is like that she's kind of a bit lost and every day she does the same thing she kind of goes home and she drinks her her vodka and then she goes to bed and she sort of has this like slightly lonely lifestyle but it's actually really it's a real kind of like deep dive into like what it is to live in the modern world and to be a bit isolated mm-hmm. and I think everybody can kind of read that and like relate to elements of it yeah, even if yeah, hopefully sure. we aren't as isolated as Eleanor is but actually there's a it's kind of got this really kind of quirky element to it because she is a real she's a real character even though she's had this sort of she's had some really difficult things happen to her which has basically made her the way she is mm-hmm. um but even with that she's kind of got this like just kind of slightly like um unusual way of looking at the world which is really um interesting as a, as a reader to kind of like get into her yeah, head cool. um so it's a really good book i really enjoyed it and i just thought it was really kind of life affirming it's also set in glasgow as well which i enjoyed oh, of course um, and i was reading about gail honeyman she's from glasgow. yeah yeah and she worked as a librarian or in she worked in the library system at least um for years and i know like uh, Eva duvernay didn't really start writing until she was maybe late 30s yeah and um, really wanted to write this love letter to, as, you know, um, Greta Gerwig did to um, Sacramento, a love letter to Glasgow, you know, as a city that she loved and had grown up in and worked in. Yeah, yeah, and it really is because I used to work in Glasgow and I really was like picturing places that I'd been and picturing coffee shops I yeah, used to go to. Yeah, sure. Um, it was really enjoyable from that perspective, but I really think that she kind of tapped into, like, I think the praise and the hype is very much deserved and mm-hmm. it's not what you think it is because I mean if you do think it is like a kind of frothy women's fiction which I mean I think is shouldn't be an insult at all but I do think some people kind of would like just see that and kind of think that's not for me um but I I found that really um really interesting really enjoyed that book and it's very readable very Mm -hmm. easy to read I then read Call Me By Your Name. Uh, which oh, she's read. joined me in yeah. the enlightened zone. Well, I mean, I will put out there that I did buy you the book. So, you so know. she started this to be fair. <laughs> but, but yeah, I really enjoyed reading that. Um, and yeah, yeah. as Helena said when she talked about it, it's, it 
it is very it's very similar to the movie and i think it was a the movie was a very good adaptation oh sure um but i am really intrigued because uh the director of the of the film luca guadagnino has said that he's going to do a kind of follow-up to, oh, the, to the movie which of <laughs> course, we've just we become are... like clue by your name stands haven't we well, i mean i think we have you know <laughs> we started it like, um but so he's kind of talked about how he's going to he's going to make follow-ups and he kind of wants to follow in the in the footsteps of like Richard Linklater's um, or Linklater, however you say his name, um, no. before Sunrise series and kind of ha- having this sort of like checking in on them every like five years or something, which I'm really That'd be here so for. cool. I think everybody. I thought Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet would be so up for that as well. Exactly, and and um, but interestingly, the main difference between the book and the film Call Me by Your Name is definitely the end because oh, sure. the in the spoiler 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 yeah, spoiler spoiler if you haven't seen either I mean, stop listening should. i don't know what you're doing with check your life. the timestamps. um but with the book um the the book kind of jumps forward and you see uh elio and oliver at different points in their life yeah next 20 years he yeah follows, he? yeah and you kind of see how they keep in touch which i kind of i really enjoyed like learning um but i think I wouldn't have said you get any like huge Close. insights yeah. um, or particular closure yeah, no. that you don't get in the movie. I think that the movie was right to end when it was. Like yeah. I wouldn't have enjoyed it if they'd like jumped forward and had different actors playing. Twenty it. minutes, no, it would have yeah, been weird. Yeah, yeah. But it definitely gives them the scope to, I think, uh, develop that a bit further and have that in the film quite effectively. Because no, the whole idea is that they are going to travel the world together. I mean, I do feel like he was just like, what do the fans want? Yes, that's what they want. Like, <laughs> well, that's what Luca wants, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I think all, that's also what all the actors want. They all seem to like each other, which is very refreshing, so that's nice. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Now I'm reading um, How to Stop Time by Matt Haig, which I'm very behind <gasps> oh, on. Oh, no! Um, oh. But I, I, didn't, I hadn't read it before, um, not because I wasn't interested, but you know how sometimes books just kind of pass you by, mm, and mm-hmm. um, obviously it was very talked about when it came out, yeah, sure. and it's been made into a movie with Benedict Cumberbatch, um, apparently uh, playing the main role. Oh yeah, um, yeah that's right. And yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I feel like I'm, I've just very much been kind of reading it on the tube and like it's reading very, it it's evening. very easy it's read. very easy to read like part of me kind of feels like i think i've read quite a lot of books recently which sort of fit that sort of well not even recently but just maybe like in the past few years which fit into that kind of like vaguely sci-fi vaguely real world sort mm. of combo yeah you know uh, like uh katie was it katie Katie Khan. Oh, um, um, hold back the stars. Hold back the stars. That's it. And um, what was he called? Elon. The other guy. um, All our wrong today's. Elon Musk. No, no, that's not right at all. That's what I was going to say. Must I? Yeah, yeah. Musk. No. Similar kind of vibe. Like both those books are kind of romantic sci-fi sort of like comments on modern society but they're not really traditional sci-fi they're more kind of like a bit like the time traveler's wife or something right uh, yeah do you not feel like that genre has been kind of quite in recently I think it's always in you know isn't it definitely yeah. like um katie carr's doing a new one yeah i just think oh yeah i guess you're right that is always in i feel like i've just read quite a lot of things like, like you know, it's, an, it's, an endu- it's an enduring kind of idea especially matt haig he's a really interesting guy i mean he um, has published books before. He's doing a follow-up. Um, there, there's a book he did about mental health, which was How to Stay Al- Reasons to Stay Reasons Alive. Reasons to Stay Alive, yeah. And there's another one he's doing as a follow-up, coming as soon as I can't remember the name of. But, you know, what I like about How to Stop Time is kind of like, it's the kind of book uh, that obviously you could tell he wanted to write that's kind of uplifting and happy, but deals with isolation and loneliness. Yeah, that for me you is know. the most powerful theme so far and the bit that I've kind of found most interesting because I've really enjoyed the like random segues where he meets like Shakespeare, Shakespeare <laughs> and then he meets like F. Scott Fitzgerald. Like part of me finds that like a little bit, you know. I, it's kind of like um, Midnight in Paris. Yeah, yeah. And kind of like that you have to sort of suspend disbelief and just kind of go with the flow and be like, okay, now he's meeting this person. Mm, mm-hmm. And part of me is like, how does he remember everything? Like, he's, like, relaying all these things that have happened to him, like, 400 years ago. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, and then such and such said that. <laughs> but, but I can go with it because I think his commentary on loneliness and, like, because he, as an author, has experienced um, mental health issues and yeah, been absolutely. kind of isolated. And the fact, to me, he's kind of... 
he's written it almost as like an allegory and he's kind of drawing parallels with yeah. his own life and that makes it more powerful to me than just like oh I'm just gonna have this like random story where this guy like swans around town and you know meets all these different people across yeah. the universe across the end, different I times think it, it's an interesting you know interesting uh, discussion of what would you do if your cells did age as slowly yeah, as history yeah and it's true it's a sweet love story and there's a lovely moment at the end which I'm not gonna say okay, what so it don't is. Spoil. <laughs> but um the resolution of the book is quite poignant i think okay um so overall i think yeah i like my cake as an author and as a person so definitely a fun easy-ish read like i read it and i thought i kind of expected it to be more groundbreaking than it was and it wasn't but i really have happy memories of reading that book yeah yeah well i have definitely been enjoying it so far so we'll have to um check in once i'm done yeah we've got a checking in to do but well that's it from us (laughs) we didn't expect this to be uh as kind of like involved as it was but well, we've had we've enjoyed chatting. So. We have. So hopefully you've enjoyed listening. And I feel like we've covered quite a lot of different things. So if there's anything that's really like caught your interest, interest, and you want to like check in with us about we'd it, we'd really love to hear your views. And we're hoping to see. Well, we're seeing brief encounter the old Vix production on Wednesday. Um, I really should say Emma Rice's production, as I feel like she's sort of done it, and it's just the old Vic are funding it. But yeah, we're seeing that, and then we're also hoping to see a wrinkle in time. So we've got some fun stuff like lined up for you in the works, absolutely. And our book club, as ever, is approaching. And and we will be reading Frankenstein in Baghdad. So, I'm actually really you know, excited to see we might, that. We might discuss Read that. that. Yeah. And you were saying earlier, it was quite funny, you <laughs> you were like, oh yeah, I thought it was going to be an allegory. And it's, no, it's literally Frankenstein if you were in Baghdad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein's is, monster, even. Which is intriguing. Yeah, oh actually, my gosh, really funny news about that. You see the, how the sun... Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So the sun, if you're not in the UK, is a British newspaper. I think know what the sun is. Yeah, it's, funny, a, yeah. it's terrible, it's trash. But, you know, one of the most read newspapers in the UK, to give it, to give it this credit. And it reminds you, this actually headline was actually only really online and not very long article i read it to you know quality check and it was basically like um, students say frankenstein is actually frankenstein's monster is the victim of the story and frankenstein the 200th anniversary of the book is coming up is this year Uh, i think she published it on the 1st of january 1918 actually so Oh, um, and they were being like Flakenstein. And then people were commentating, being like, yeah, you, that's the point of the book. Yeah, the whole book is written so that you feel sympathy for Frankenstein's monster. Like, that's not that's not just like a millennial, like, no, it's not. Reading. That's, that's the story. Like, the literal reading of the book. Oh my gosh. And of but, course, there were people who were like, oh, because Frankenstein's a very well known book, but I think, you know, it's it's quite likely that a lot of people have never read it. I never read it. And who don't completely know what the story is. And Frankenstein, you know, is very much associated with being called Frankenstein, which he's not. But but if you do read I mean, it, green. Um, because A, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting, it's worth reading because it, it's written by a woman and that's not the only reason why you should read it. In, but, 1918, in 1918, like, Yeah, wow. at the time and the fact it was like one of the first like horror horror novels, like it's definitely an interesting It really is, yeah. Um, and also like it's, it, the, the monster has really beautiful soliloquies where he ponders on how he's not accepted and so there's a lot of like, he's parallels. Made. yeah. There's a lot of parallels you could make with like, uh, you know, general themes of acceptance and tolerance, and at that when you study it, which I did <laughs> to clarify um, <laughs> multiple times, is definitely like the number one theme that they like drum into. Yeah, you. So yeah, it was so, quite funny. Anyway, it, to ask you, it was a very, very, very small headline in the Sun, so it's not a huge deal. But it was just quite a funny thing that came out of the last of the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein. Um, but yeah. Um, what was that? Why did I get onto that? Uh, Frankenstein. Oh, down. so we're gonna. It is about Frankenstein. We will be coming back to you with that. And overall, yeah. And as Flan, as Flan said, if you have any questions, comments, anything you want to tell you us, you guys call me Frankenstein. No, I'll call you Flan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you think Frankenstein, you think Flan. It's essentially an equation, you know, with the with the screws and the green. But um, yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening. As ever, you can find us on Twitter. Instagram. Email. We generally keep Twitter very up to date with when a new podcast is coming out, accompanied with a GIF of you know one of us you know matching the computer as a cat. So it's yeah, easy to see can, what we're going to upload next. Um, follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever else you get your podcasts. So we uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast and yeah. we'll listen. We'll we'll check in with you soon. Yeah. So see you guys. Bye. <laughs>